Welcome back, everybody, to the Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 86. Is that right? I believe so. 86. That right. My name is Brad. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend, Austin Loop. Austin, how you doing? I'm doing excellent. I got a, got a full eight hours of sleep. Oh, this is episode 87. Oh, 87? Well, that's fine. Episode number 87. Yeah. Should have maybe looked at that before we started. That's fine. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. It is Saturday morning as we record this. Uh, first weekend of February. Already kind of wondering where the year is going. We are in the second month of 2023. Just, just don't. Just don't. And it is... No. You know, you know, we are barreling <laughs> down the tracks towards a fifth loop child. Yes, we are. How how is that going? It's going really well, actually. Yeah, it's going really well. She we feeling can... feeling pretty good, and oh, she's ready. She's ready. She's ready. <laughs> We've we're like two months, two months away. All right, from a fifth baby loop, and so she's. So when Austin disappears for a couple episodes, you'll you'll know why. We will we will address that for sure. Exactly. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we're very excited about that. I'm I'm stoked. I'll never forget when uh, your fourth child was born. I had to find out the gender and the name about four days later. Yep. At a soccer game. <laughs> no text. No phone call. No. Hey, come meet the baby. Just a. Oh, hey, Brad showed up. To the soccer game, I guess we have to tell them now. Oh, hey, here's no, our, here's our baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not still holding on to that. I, I can see I'm that. Met, I'm I can... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's normally, we don't tell anybody gender or the name at all. Baby's born, and then we bring the baby home and introduce the baby to the other kids. And then we start letting people yeah. know. So that the kids are the first ones to know, and then we just... Kind of go from there. Go from there. I like yeah. it. That's, that's, that's such a cool, unique thing. Yeah. So last last great. What is it called? Uh, reveal. Rev- ah. Gender reveal What's party. The, no, oh. no. It's a, a surprise. <laughs> last great surprise. There we go. In uh, humanity. It's it's fun. It's whatever. Anyway, what, what are we doing today? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. No. Uh, uh, so today we are going to dive into First Timothy chapter three. We are going to start it. I am ninety eight percent confident we will not finish it. <laughs> Honestly, that's not that's not true. I, I may have fibbed a little bit. We, I am a hundred percent confident we will not. Yeah, me too. Get through me too. First Timothy chapter three in this episode. It's going to be a good one. Going to be deep. It's it 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 is one that has some propensity for for controversy within the church. Uh, yeah. It is one that really gets into the meat and potatoes of some things and and quality uh, qualifications for an overseer and qualifications for deacons. What's the difference? You know, marriage, divorce, children, unbelieving children. I mean, there's so many things within this text that we that we can dive into, and so many rabbit trails we could chase. We're going to try not to do that too too much, right? Um, we'll Just see how that goes. Stick to the text. Stick and to the see text. What it says. But really cool. Uh, it, so we went last night to see Phil Wickham. A lot of you listening from our church, I, you were probably there too. I uh, saw Phil Wickham, Leland, and Matt Marr. And man, what a cool thing to go to a church. And this is a mega church, and and you know, the mega churches have stigmas of being shallow and watered down, this, that, and the other. And, and there's some truth to to that with this particular church. Maybe some watered down messages, but nothing in my, from what I've seen egregious or, or anything that would you know lead me to believe it's it's uh, heretical by by any means. But we went to this church and. From stage, they said it was the most tickets and the most attended uh, sing-along show ever in any of the sing-along tours that they've done. Wow. So the most people there want... And to to be standing there and to listen to what had to be two or 3,000 people just singing at the top of their lungs, worshiping, is such a cool thing. Right. It, it's, it's a little glimpse, honestly, into heaven, right? Like, it, it feels a little cheesy to say that, but it's a little glimpse into heaven where we are going to spend eternity with... Hundreds upon millions upon thousands of people. Oh, yeah. I went in a weird order on that. Uh, <laughs> worshiping our king. And it's so cool to see get a little taste of that here, here this side of heaven. And, you know, whatever your opinion is on, on worship music, and we've talked a lot about it, and we're yeah. going to talk more about it. But when you get a, an opportunity to do that, I, I, I say take it. It is such a cool experience, like I said, to just be with thousands of other people and worshiping. Yeah. I mean, you could sit there and think, oh, maybe there's no way all these people in here are Christians and yada yada, and numbers and statistics and whatever. You don't worry about that. 
you just sing and, and you sing these songs to the lord and and just just a really cool night so i'm really glad we got to experience that but yeah, that's uh awesome. i think i was i was actually thinking about you and emily while i was there i was like man i wish they could have come out to this yeah because i think they would have enjoyed it oh, i don't yeah. know maybe you wouldn't have we like concerts yeah yeah they just they have so many kids <laughs> I just... it is true <laughs> bringing we want to yeah um but the one that we'll be able to afford is we'll probably do Winter Jam. Nice. But I will only go to Winter Jam if Skillet is there. If Skillet is not Skillet's there, not there this year. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not gonna. No. This year's Winter Jam will be interesting. I don't know if I'm gonna go or not. There are seven or eight bands there. I think only two I care about seeing, and and I, I would like to see Disciple. I haven't seen them in a long time. They're oh, wow. a pretty hard rock group. Yeah. They usually have one of those every year, one kind of harder, more alternative, like Red is there sometimes. Yeah. And so, because they like to hit all the genres mm-hmm. at Winter Jam, which is pretty cool. And Jeremy Camp's going to be there this year, and uh, he is he is a good he's a good performer. Yeah. He's, he's got a good show. I like his story. I will say his first album's his best, and so I doubt I will hear anything from his first album if I go. <laughs> Maybe I still believe because that's his that's true biggest song ever, Big and one. it was a movie. Named after it. That won our movie bracket, by the way. The, the movie uh, bracket we did. That's yeah, just, that yeah. movie that won. So maybe I'll go. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> next year. Is it, is it still? Next year, you and I are going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll be there. We'll be there. And it, for two episodes. John two- Cooper, if you're listening ever throughout <laughs> this entire year, please, please be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You, uh, you and I are going next year to two of the winter jams yeah i just want you to know that we'll talk about that uh as it gets closer all right so before we get into first Timothy chapter three just do me a favor jump over on facebook twitter instagram follow us like us do those things give us some uh comments and feedback if you'll jump on spotify or apple give us a five-star review that would be amazing we would love to see that and, and read those on the air as we proved on our last episode if you guys interact with us we will interact back we true. will uh mention our conversation we will you know give you a shout out we'll answer a question we'll dive into a topic we'll spend six weeks on your topic like we'll do whatever <laughs> you guys need us to do it'll, it'll be pretty cool also patreon.com slash rooted in logos uh if you want to support us financially it does cost us money to do this every month uh, just from our subscriptions that we have to maintain to keep this thing going be amazing for that and we want to throw some advertising dollars into this so if we have a little bit extra that'd be wonderful and thank you for those who have donated given us some cash we do really appreciate that and uh, that's been used to, or will be used for some advertising and has mm-hmm. been used for our subscriptions. So we do thank you for that. Maybe someday we'll get some apparel. Maybe some apparel. I do have bracelets. I have so many bracelets. That's true. I have a lot of bracelets. If you want a bracelet, reach out to us. We'll give you a bracelet. I don't even care if we sell. We're going to give you a bracelet. <laughs> We're not yeah. going to sell them. I have a ton of them. And so if you will do that, that'd be cool. We'll give you a couple. Uh, black, blue, and white. Those are the colors that we have. Yep. And... Uh, that would be something pretty cool to, to have and to wear and to see people wearing all, uh, around the area. So do that. Anyway, First Timothy chapter 3. Let's get our normal thing. We'll, we'll start. We'll read the entire chapter. And then we will jump back to verse 1 and start going through it and picking it apart verse by verse. Again, we won't finish this whole thing today. But let's read First Timothy chapter 3. Austin, you want to get us started? Sure. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snares of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 1 Timothy chapter 3. So we see three kind of distinct sections here. We see the qualifications of an overseer. Uh, you can translate that into pastor, elder, teacher, shepherd, however you want to translate. Whatever term you use, uh, bishop, I think, is one that a lot of translations use. So qualifications of that, and, and it runs through them in the first uh, seven verses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go 8 through 13, qualifications for deacons and, and kind of what that looks like. And if you were to be a deacon, here is kind of how you should behave and how you should act and what your qualifications are. And then he, he talks about the mystery of godliness in the last couple of verses, wraps it up, gives a little salutation almost. I mean, if there wasn't a chapter four, it'd almost feel like he was wrapping up the the whole book, the right. whole letter, but he, he does continue. Yeah. But first Timothy chapter three is, is, is pretty dense, pretty rich. We're going to dive into it starting in verse one. My goal, if we are able to, is to get through the first seven verses. <laughs> I don't necessarily see that happening, but right. that, that's a goal. That is a, a noble task, as Paul would say. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're aspiring here. Aspiring for noble tasks. So let's jump back up to verse 1. Mm-hmm. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. I see two things here. I see two different words for desire, right? Yes. I see aspire. I see desire. And aspire, I, I believe in this context... It is actually a, a an actual physical doing. I am physically attempting to be an overseer. I am I am making an effort. And then he desires a noble task. That word translates. See, these are two different Greek words, and this mm-hmm. word translates into something to the effect of an inner desire, an inner want, an inner longing to be a pastor, to be an overseer, to be a deacon. Yeah, yeah. The the Greek for aspire is orego. It's to reach out after something. So the aspiration that you have for something is literally you reaching out to do it or to reach out and grab it. Orego for aspire. Um, then he desires, the Greek word is epithuma. Epithuma is the Greek for a passionate compulsion or a strong passion. And I, I read this as that, that desire is from the Holy Spirit. It's that desire within you to then lead to the aspiration to reach out and therefore do it. And and as he says, he desires a noble task. Now, noble. What does noble mean? Well, I want to say, too, that you outwardly pursue being a pastor, being a teacher, being an elder, being a leader, because of an inner desire. Yeah. So it, it is a strong inner desire that is being pursued outwardly. So you, you it is evident that this is what this person wants. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times it's referred to as a calling. Literally, the calling from the Holy Spirit telling you to go do this. And then the aspiration that he gives you is to, therefore, go after it. Becoming a pastor or becoming an elder is a very, very noble thing to do. And doing it biblically, I mean, one, you're you're obeying if the Holy Spirit is leading you to do that. Because not everyone is meant to be a pastor. And, and James, well, even just teaching... Not everyone is meant to teach, which we'll get into that in a little bit. But literally in James, it says not everyone is supposed to teach. Don't you know that we will incur a harsher judgment? Um, so, so there's that aspect as well. But to become a pastor, to become an elder is a very good and noble thing. And it's something that as men, we should be desiring. We should be aspiring to, even if we, we're not called to it. I mean, as it says right here, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So even aspiring to it, but you don't necessarily have the calling. You, right. you think, oh, yeah, it'd be really cool to to lead a, lead a church and to pastor them for the next 50 to 80 years <laughs> and stuff like that. That's a noble thing. That is a very good thing. If you do it or not, that that's a, I think that's up to the, to the king. But. Of course. But yeah. <laughs> so verse 2, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Some translations use blameless. 
the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Paul uses one of his classic run-on sentences here because verse 3 continues that sentence. But let's start with verse 2. And I want to look at the word must for just a second. Yes. This indicates an imperative. Like, this has to be done. This is not up for debate. This is not a question. This is not a, well, he... He needs to be, or he should be. It's emphatic. It's, he mm-hmm. must be these things. He has to adhere to the qualifications. This is not a small thing no. to be a pastor, to be an overseer, to be someone in charge of a church and, and in charge of, of a local body of believers. Yeah. I mean, it, it's we've seen time and time again, I understand and there's a problem with this when we hold them up to such a high pedestal. Mm-hmm almost idolizing them or treating them as celebrities like that's an issue yeah but we see time and time again when a pastor of a church falls that fall is devastating to that church uh just just a little bit of a you know story from my from my background from in churches was at a church not in indiana not in kentucky it was a church out of state that i was helping with uh plant a new location in another state and so it was they were, I think, I think the church plant that we helped launch was, I want to say, the fifth campus of, of that particular church, satellite campus, basically. Yeah. E- each campus had their own campus pastor, but they all taught the same sermon every week. They all had the same songs every week. It was a very interesting dynamic. Hmm. And two things happened. Uh, one, the head pastor, the guy that was over all of it, first of all, unbeknownst to me when I first kind of got involved, had spent a good amount of time in prison for... I think it was like some sort of fraud, some, some sort of financial fraud and stuff like that. And, and this happened while he was still the pastor of a church. Wow. He then got out and continued running the church. Hmm. Didn't know that at the beginning of this whole ordeal. Uh, not to say that you can't be redeemed from that, because right. obviously you can. But a little bit of a red flag that pops up. Mm, the being above reproach. One of the <laughs> campus pastors fell into some sexual immorality had an issue there and that particular church body just fell apart yeah in that moment because that's their pastor did things he shouldn't have been doing and that particular congregation really really suffered and ultimately Mm -hmm. the whole organism of that church because of that because of the head pastor the the lead guy who then was kind of getting into some other shady stuff the entire place shut down all campuses were, were just shut down a couple of them stayed together as their own individual entities and that was amazing but as a whole, that organization, that church body, just ceased to exist. Oh, wow. And that's why this is such a big thing. Yeah. Is because when you get people, we're all flawed. Every pastor that you ever see, that you ever sit under, that you ever listen to on TV, that you ever listen to on a podcast, us, every, we're not pastors, but every pastor that you see is flawed. Yeah. They sin, they struggle with sin, there is nothing denying that. But... Their sin and, and their their mistakes when they come to light are a lot more catastrophic to a body of believers than yeah. when Austin and I mess up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and not again, not saying there's not grace and there's not, you know, but this yeah. is a big deal. Well, and it's, it's Paul laying out saying, okay, these are the qualifications. These are the things you have to do and you have to be to be in this position. And being a sinful human being is absolutely no... What's the word? Excuse? Excuse, yeah. That is not an excuse for adhering to these qualifications. And if you don't meet one of the qualifications, uh, you cannot be in the role. And we cannot backslide. We cannot say, oh, well, we can't find anybody to fill these these qualifications and roles. So we're just going to have to do with what we have. My opinion based on scripture is, well, no. If you don't have anybody to fill the role, anybody who does not fill the qualifications then you go without that role being filled for a while until God gives you someone to fill that. And a lot of people don't like that. But it goes back to, okay, do you believe that this is the word of God? Inerrant, complete, fulfill everything. Especially when we read through scripture and Paul says things like this. Or when Paul says something, I, Paul, desire that you do this. Okay, are we separating scripture? Are we saying this is scripture, but this is not? Right. No, all of it is. The The Bible is complete. So when Paul is going through these qualifications saying, you must do this, this is God speaking through Paul to us saying, no, this is my commandment. 
and you are going to do this. Yeah. So let that one sink in for a minute. <laughs> yeah. This, this is this is a very serious calling and a very serious position that you're looking to fill, or that you that you yourself are looking to obtain, or that you're looking to fill within your church body, or you're sitting under someone in in a local church, which obviously we we hope you are because mm-hmm. that's part of the Christian life is sitting under the teaching of a pastor. Yeah. So therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Mm. We are 20 minutes into this. We are on verse 2. And above reproach could be a series in and of itself. It is very true. (laughs) I've seen the argument made that above reproach is like the header of this list. Okay. And that everything below it explains above reproach. I've also seen that done with the fruit of the spirit, by the uh, way. Well, yeah. Where I was love say, is the header. Without love, you have no other fruit. Everything else explains what love is. Yes. I think that would... I th- yes, I think I agree with that. Yeah. Granted, Paul likes to do that. He does. So, yeah. I No, I, I fully agree with that with the fruit of the spirit. Without love, you do not have the rest. Right. And as an overseer and pastor, if you are not above reproach, you can't do any of the rest. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I think I agree with that. So I like that. <laughs> so there are there are sermons, there are series, there are oh my goodness, so many books and things that could be written and taught and said on just those two words above, above reproach. reproach. What does that mean? Other translations, I do believe, use the word blameless in yep. this as opposed to above reproach. I'm going to go to MacArthur here and and just kind of give a little bit of his his take on this. Literally, this word that we translated above reproach, or above reproach or, or blameless means not able to be held mm-hmm. in a criminal sense. Yep. Okay, there is no valid accusation of wrongdoing that can be made against him. No overt, flagrant sin can mar the life of a person who must be an example for his people to follow. This is an overarching requirement for elders. The rest of the qualifications elaborate on what it means to be blameless or above reproach, yes. so that no criticism can be made perfect against them right so that if some if a charge is brought to them there is no evidence there is nothing yeah there, there's uh, yeah, yeah. It, it would be a shock to someone to to hear an accusation brought against this person right yes. the congregation would be shocked it wouldn't be a oh well hmm, i could see that right yeah. <laughs> it's a no there is absolutely no way and then of, of course you investigate it a little bit right or not a yeah. little bit you investigate it you see if there's any merit to whatever's being brought against them but ultimately people know. And and they are like, no, th- th- there's no way this can be true. Yeah. And then you flesh it out. And you're like, oh, see, I told you that wasn't true. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So what does this look like? Like literally, how, how can, what's uh, an example that we can look at being above reproach? So say you have a pastor or an elder that they're within the church and they're living their life above reproach. That means everything's out. They're not secretive of anything. They're honest about everything. And say something happened in their past, but the rest of the elders know, their their friends know, pretty much the whole church knows. And say you have a, a new member coming in, and they find out, and they're like, well, what is this? This this disqualifies them, and so on and so forth. And the entire congregation can come back and say, well, no, he has been completely above reproach. He he has spoken about it. One, this is his testimony, but two, it's just he's open about it. Right. This is not secretive. He's not holding anything uh, away from anyone. Right. It's like no, he's being above reproach. He is, and and we want to reiterate, we're not. Paul is not demanding perfection from these men because that's not possible. Right. This side of heaven, right? Like we're not going to be perfect, and so your pastor is not perfect. Your pastor sins. Your pastor struggles with sin. And it looks differently for each one what sin they struggle with because we all have our tendencies and the things that we desire that are ungodly. Yeah. So yes, that is that is a thing. Sin is going to be an issue for the pastor. But like Austin said, it it's not secretive. It's not, you know, and I look at above approach too, and I, I see, I picture just this thing that's drilled into your head in Bible college of like, pastor, if you are meeting with a woman that is not your wife, first of all, may not be the best idea, but secondly, sometimes you can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. So you do it in an open room Yes, with somebody else with around. someone else there. Somebody else has to be around. Yeah. You are not by yourself in a closed door, behind closed doors in an office. Yeah. I, my uh, youth pastor I worked with, 
if he met with a student in his office and the student wanted privacy, which is fine because there are times where the student or the woman or whoever wants to be able to talk a little more openly without door may have been closed, but the blinds were open and there was someone there. Right. There was still an accountability in that. Yes. And so you're not putting yourself in a position where that person can say something about you. Yes, exactly. That is above reproach. So a pastor, don't meet with a woman who's not your wife alone. Yes. That looks bad. <clears throat> it does That's look bad. bad. A, it looks bad as a, as a believer look, seeing it. Even if I'm like, there's no way he's whatever, yeah. it still doesn't look great. No. And it's not being above reproach because then people can question what's going on in that relationship. Yeah. Well, and Peter speaks about this too, of uh, making sure, especially unbelievers, but nobody can bring a charge upon you that is true. Not so, that no one can bring a charge against you, period, because right. that's going to happen. That's going to happen. But you make <laughs> sure that episode. it's not true. Right. <laughs> No, definitely. Because that is a great example. That is a great example. And the fact that we were able to talk about it, we were able to come out with the podcast, going going to the church elders, being able to have that conversation, to one, we were keeping you above reproach. But also, we were helping keep our elders right. above reproach. Right. So they, it wasn't being hidden and exactly. secretive and all that. Yeah. And, and that was my biggest thing. Because yeah. I'm, I'm like, this, this needs to happen. Because if, if it doesn't, it dis- disqualifies you from any future prospects, but then it disqualifies them. I'm like, this is a very serious <laughs> thing. We need yeah. to we need to do this. And so uh, that that was cool being able to uh, definitely being able to come on the podcast and talk about it. Yeah. But for for Peter talking how if someone brings a charge, you have to make sure it's not true. So yeah, talking about a man. Uh, so if with me with my work, if ever I in my truck, and I'm going notifying customers, stuff like that, if ever I have a possibility of one of the women in my company have to get in my truck and we have to go do something, and I'm like, well, I, I can't. And it's like, well, why? It's like, well, let me let me speak some uh, scripture to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, it's being above reproach. It's like, I, I will not put myself in that position, but I'm also not going to put you in that position as well. Right. I am honoring you, but I'm also honoring myself. Yeah. So that is a very, very important thing. Being above reproach. Next. Next. The husband of one wife. Stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely one of the ones that bring contention and d- division to a lot of believers. Yeah. Because what does this mean? Does this mean sexually one woman, uh, one wife, or does this mean one woman at a time? As in, okay, I'm married to this woman now, so therefore I am a one-woman man. Because uh, literally the context for the husband of one wife is, or a man of one woman. One woman. So, I don't I don't even know if Brad and I agree on this or not, so I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Just in doing some study and doing some, some digging on this, I do think divorce, because I know that's kind of where we're going to end up with, I do think divorce is included in, in this list of qualifications, I just don't think it's in this one. I think husband of one wife, based on what I've read, is a sexual is sexual in nature. Mm. Um, yes, married, of course. Like, who, if he's having sex, he is married to that woman, right? Right. So that is first and foremost, married to the woman he is sleeping with. Yes. Period. And, and and is above reproach in this regard of again protecting you or protecting yourself sexually. Yes. Not, you know, diving into pornography and having that addiction, not meeting with someone of the opposite sex alone in private. Yeah. You know, being not putting yourself like Austin just said so so eloquently, I'm protecting myself and I'm protecting you. Yeah. And and that's exactly what it is. And and so I look at again just based on doing some reading and some studying, not just MacArthur, just kind of some of the other stuff I've read online. This husband of one wife is a sexual purity yes. statement. Now, again, we're going to get into the idea of divorce and being single and all that in verse 4, right? right? Yes, in verse 4. So that's not to say that that's not addressed, because I do think it is. Yeah. And that might be where we maybe disagree a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but husband of one wife, he is sexually pure. Yeah. And, and same here. For one... To be a pastor or to be an overseer, he has to be married. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, as in to be a shepherd of a flock, he has to be married. He has to have a wife. Why? Because Paul says must. Must. 
And so with that, I also take it as married once. Now we get into the minutiae of so many different things of, okay, first example, his first wife dies and later on he, he gets married again. Okay, does this therefore disqualify him? I don't believe so. The way I see it is this also gets into, okay, before he was a believer versus after he was a believer. And so say uh, this man was married and did not have a godly life or a godly wife and they got divorced. But then later he got remarried, came to know Christ. His wife came to know Christ. And you can see for the past 20 years fruit. You can see his children fruit. Would we be able to go to him and say, is this man disqualified? And my, my opinion based on the rest of scripture is no. But some would say yes, because he was divorced. And so this this opens a lot of different things, which as, as we continue, we'll continue to, to talk about it. But the point of this one is he has, has to be married and it has to be to one woman, at least at this point that we're talking about the husband of one wife. So he has to be married and it has to be one woman. This is not a polygamy type deal where he can right. be married two to three different women. So uh, King David and King Solomon would be uh, taken off the list. Well, and, and honestly, like I don't know how rampant polygamy was at the time Paul was writing this. I, I'm not sure it was a, a huge issue because I know Jesus condemned it, right. polygamy as well. And so I'm not sure how much that was an issue. But, I mean, it, it still remained an, or it became an issue in the Mormon church and, yeah. and that became you know a big point of contention mm-hmm. within the 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 mormon cult which I, I, you know it's kind of where i land on mormonism <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i i think austin is correct on the widow side of things and widower side of things uh you see that in in first timothy chapter four i believe no chapter five first timothy chapter five verse 14 he calls for widows mm-hmm to remarry. To remarry. Uh, yep. Same in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only yep. in the Lord. So, of course, there is remarriage for those whose spouses die. Yes. And so I, I don't think that disqualifies you. And I'm kind of with Austin. And again, we're going to get into that in verse 4 a little bit more, I think. I, I don't necessarily think divorce automatically disqualifies you from, from being an elder as well. Because, again, we, we talk about we all sin. And those who are not believers cannot be held to the same standard as believers. And so if that divorce, if that, if that issue happened before salvation, before coming to Christ, I think there's a path. I think there's a path towards eldership and a path towards pastorship for the one who has an issue of divorce in their past. But again, I think it's, it's doable, but it is, it, is, it is within strict boundaries and strict guidelines. Right. Again, these are qualifications. They have to then meet everything else as well as that. Yeah, you know, particular thing. Interesting little side note here, and and I don't know if I necessarily want to get into it fully on this, because I don't really know where I stand. But I know Austin knows where he stands on this, and and because he said it just a second ago, oh. has to be married. Oh, to okay. be an overseer, to be a pastor, has to be married. I've read a few different. Again, a few different points of view that say that. I've read a couple points of view, one from MacArthur, that, that doesn't say that. That says it doesn't necessarily disqualify the single man, because Paul would have disqualified himself. The argument then comes in that Austin laid out a little bit before we started recording, and then I've also read that, okay, but Paul never calls himself an elder. Paul never calls himself a pastor. Right. So, Paul's not, quali- you know, maybe Paul's disqualifying himself from being a pastor, from being an elder. Yeah. Paul's a teacher. Paul's right. an apostle. I mean, he, he basically is forming the churches in these regards because yeah. he is laying out these qualifications and he's saying, okay, here's how we're going to build the church. Yeah. And we're going to do it this way with this these types of people. And this is what you have to do in order to be in these roles. Yes. So, Austin, what is what, what are your thoughts on, on that, on, on people who would say, and again, I'm not 100% sure where I stand. I actually lean because I like, you know, I like logic. I like being able to kind of think things through logically. Yeah. Logically, it makes sense that you're married if you're a pastor, yeah. because you are the head of the local church, mm-hmm. obviously Christ being the head of the church as a whole, the big C church, right. but you are, through Christ's direction and through God's you know, sovereign plan and grace, you are the head of the little C church, yes. of your little C church, just as Christ is the head of the big church, yeah. and the church is the bride of Christ. Right. You are the head of a bride. You are the head of Christ's bride, little B bride. Yeah. Right, and the husband is the head of the household and the head of their brides. Yeah, logically, in my mind, if you are to be leading a bride, you should also have a bride <laughs> to lead on a smaller level. That idea of if you are trusted with the little things, God will 
give you more things yes. to be trusted with. And yes. so I think it almost starts there and then it builds on that foundation of being a husband. Yeah. So logically I'm I might kind of end up there. <laughs> but it's not something I've really thought about a whole lot. Yeah. Also, not an issue that I've had to really look at right. because every pastor I've ever sat under has been married. Yeah. So it's never even come up in my church life, right? Yeah. Like so it's not something I've had to address head on. So yeah. maybe that's why I haven't super formed a thought on that. But again, logically, right. that's kind of my where I land. Might yeah. be where I land. That's definitely where I land. Yeah. Looking at not just pastors but also elders. As an elder and a pastor, you have to be married. Just exactly what you're talking about of how can you lead the bride of Christ? How can you lead these people if you're not leading on a smaller scale? Smaller scale being your wife, and that's not a small scale of at all. Not. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into children here in a minute. A lot of people go to Jesus. Oh well, Jesus wasn't married, and yet he is the shepherd. He is the great pastor, and so on and so forth. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, he was not married here on earth, but literally, what is the whole point of the church? <laughs> right, <laughs> the church is the bride of Christ. It, yeah. Now, why is he not married yet? Well, because the end of the times have not come to fruition. But also, scripture is very clear on when you become married, you are to be equally yoked. We are not equally yoked with Jesus yet. We will be when eternity comes and when literally God has made us pure and perfect, Mm. then we will be ready and we will be at the point where we can actually be given to Jesus as the bride because we are imperfect and he is making us perfect. So there's that. We are not equally yoked yet, so therefore we're not married yet. There, there's a purpose. Right. There's a point. So as an overseer and as an elder, to be married, you are also showing God, like like what you were talking about, how you can be trusted with the bigger things. As in, not just your bride, but his bride. Mm. And it again, it is a must. It is a must. You have to be married. Then we get into Paul. Well, Paul wasn't a... Um, wasn't married. He didn't have children that we know of. It's like, yes, he, he did not. But when we, you look throughout scripture, and as far as I've, I've read, as far as I've, I've studied, not once has he ever referred to himself as a pastor, an overseer, an elder, or anything like that. And not that I've seen that like Peter has ever referred to him as that. Peter has been referred to, and he's called himself an elder, but he was also married. Right, and I, it doesn't refer to his children. I don't believe. I, I but don't we know. can we can assume he we had can kids. assume. Yeah. So Paul, not being a pastor and elder, in a way, yeah, he disqualifies himself. As in, I don't have these qualifications, therefore I can't do this. But also, that's not his calling. Even when we look back at baptism, what we were talking about before this ep- this thing started, of how Paul talks about how God did not call him to baptize. Literally, he says. Jesus called him to spread the gospel, to spread the word of God. Mm. He did not call him to baptize. And then we have to stop and be like, well, wait a minute. The Great Commission. The Great Commission tells everybody that we're called to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, well, Paul is exception to the rule. Why? Because Jesus literally showed up to him, appeared to him, and said, this is what I want you to do. And Paul did baptize some. A few, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Literally, you could put on like one hand, maybe two. But he says, I I thank the Lord that I did not, because then no one can say that I was baptized into the the name of Paul or so on and so forth. Exactly, yeah. And so we see Paul is separate. Not only did he have a, a different calling than the other apostles, he also had the spiritual gift of what's known as celibacy. He did not burn with passion with that sexual desire for another woman or for a woman. He was truly devoted to the bride of Christ and he was devoted to Christ. God fulfilled that inner desire of his, that burning passion of his, and he did not need to be married and he did not have children. So therefore he was able to do these things that God had for him. And literally we see that through him reading or him writing most of the New Testament. Right. For me, that's ample cause to believe that that this is right that this is true yeah so exactly that's where i land oh man one of these days we're going to disagree on something we we might here in a minute (laughs) (laughs) sober-minded 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 what does that mean sober-minded someone who is serious and sensible disciplined and studious great care to detail 
logical, clear, and sound reasoning. These things come to mind when I think of sober-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only these these things, but we get into talking about uh, alcohol. We get into talking mm-hmm. about how much is he able to drink, or should he drink at all? Right. So let, let's pause. Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> do you think... Or do you believe that a pastor or an elder is able to drink at all if he is leading a church? I, I, I do. I, I don't see an issue with it as long as it's not an issue. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and that I, I think it's the same. I, I think it's very. I think it's pretty much the same as it is with any Christian. It, it's it's fine as long as you are staying sober minded. As long as you are not you're staying within control of yourself and controlling it now. I will say this, uh, that church I did mention uh, earlier, alluded to earlier, and I'm not going to mention names or anything, but my, my pastor that I was sitting under there, they had a, they had a rule, they had a, a standard for their pastors, not a anti-alcohol, gen, you know, you can't drink at all, period, rule. Yeah. But they had a rule that said if you are within a certain mileage or certain range of our campuses, you are not to drink in public. You are not to be seen in public drinking alcohol. Yeah. And... I actually, I don't necessarily know about specific mileage and all that. We're not, I'm not getting into that. I like that, though. Yes. Uh, I like that standard because it is a very, it's, it's, it's the exact same thing as not being alone with another woman. Mm-hmm. Someone sees you alone with another woman, they're, they're going to start whispering and talking. Someone sees you in public with a glass of bourbon, with a beer, with whatever, with a cocktail of some sort, they could start whispering. Yeah. And that's not above reproach. That is, that yes. is having. That so yes with an asterisk I think they can with an asterisk I think within obviously with moderation just like it would be for any of us yeah but I think in public it's probably not the best idea I would agree this is something that I've I've kind of gone back and forth on for the past several years one knowing what scripture says about alcohol knowing well, that, real quick too I, I had a pastor that brewed his own beer it was really good by the way oh, but wow. he brewed his own beer and so yeah. like again I, I I have faced this one head on oh yeah and and yeah. I've anyway but continue no it's and bringing that up of I make mead. I make honey mead. Yeah. And so if uh, I were ever in a, a pastoral position, it's like, okay, well, would I have to stop making honey mead? Like I said, going back and forth on this, but what I've what I have arrived to with just the whole of scripture, looking throughout the Old Testament and even the New, of what alcohol is. Alcohol is a gift that God gave to man, especially in the form of wine. Mm-hmm. And scripture is full of wine references and full of vineyard references in full but of... But Austin, it was not alcoholic. Totally, bro. It's just grape juice, man. <laughs> no, I, I lost where I was going. Sorry. With no, it's fine. <laughs> Brad does this to me. He, he just interjects these things. And, oh. Anyway, no. So, for a pastor, I do believe it is okay. Yes. Well, just like you said, anybody. Scripture is pretty clear on that. Um, it is not the alcohol that is evil. It and we can admit that gets into a lot of, course, of things, yeah. but it is what you do with it and moderation. So with a pastor to take a, a couple dr- or a couple swallows or a, a small glass of wine or something like that. No, I don't think that's bad at all, but I definitely, and actually something I adhere to is I do not drink outside of my home. Pretty much. Uh, I do not drink out in public. If I'm at a restaurant, I, I, you will not see me drinking at all, even to a point of, other people's houses if offered i will not accept and i'm just like oh no thank you i'm okay um but like coming here to brad's brad and i we've we've shared some glasses of bourbon so being above reproach is definitely a must again you must but so as if i ever got into the the pastoral side if i was becoming a pastor i think i would continue to brew mead granted it's not brewing it's just (laughs) <laughs> it's just combining ingredients letting it sit right exactly yeah. it's, it's honey yeast and water <laughs> yeah 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 um but uh, man there's there so this... many there's so many different uh rabbit holes to this one yeah but it we'll just leave it we'll leave it right and, there. and i think it i think it speaks to the next next qualification yes. of being self-control self-control it, that that's a perfect segue into that controlling yourself <laughs> things in moderation right controlling your, your gluttony you're controlling your what you're how you're spending your time controlling how you spend your money controlling how you if you drink how much you drink and when you drink and where you drink and being able to control yourself hence the term self-control pretty self-explanatory there i think one of the other translations will say things like good behavior 
instead of self-control or, or, or respectable even. Being orderly. You're not living a, a life of chaos. You're not living a life... It goes kind of ties with sober-mindedness, not being driven by your emotions, yes. right? Obviously, we have emotions, and we're going to be angry, and we're going we're gonna to be sad, we're going to be upset, we're going to make emotional decisions that is part of being human, but like you're not controlled by your emotions. Yes. And that's, that's sober-mindedness <clears throat> and that's self-control. It's being able to control your anger, control your sadness, control your depression, control whatever emotional state you're in, and not making decisions based on those emotions. Yeah. You need to make your decisions based on Scripture, based on yeah. God, based on where He leads and the Holy Spirit and what is good and what is holy and what is perfect and what is right. Being self-controlled. Yeah. I have self-controlled is the ability to regulate one's emotions, thoughts, and behavior in the face of temptations. And, and just what he's saying. I want to real quick go to Titus, Titus chapter 2, uh, talking about you know what o- older women are to be doing and older men are to be doing. And so in verse, we'll go four, chapter two. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure working at home, kind, so on and so mm. forth. And then verse six, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. This is one of the, the only things that he tells the older men to teach the younger men. Why? Verse seven, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. The older men in the church are supposed to be teaching the younger men self-control. Why? Because from self-control leads to most everything else. Mm -hmm. Self-control of sexual desire, self-control of food, self-control of alcohol, self-control of literally everything. And if you can be self-controlled, it sets you up to be a pastor and an overseer or an elder. And literally the older men are teaching the younger men to fulfill these roles once they're gone and out of them. Mm-hmm. So it is it is it is a must. It is very important to be self-controlled. And just talking about alcohol, you, if you do not have self-control, you are no with alcohol or so on and so forth, but now you are not no longer above reproach and therefore right. you are disqualified from these roles. Right. So and, and that's not to say one mistake leads you to be disqualified, because right. again, your pastor sins, your pastor yeah. struggles. Yeah. But we're talking here a, a pattern of behavior. We're talking yes. here a, 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 granted, there are going to be, quote unquote, bigger sins or bigger issues that might disqualify you f- the first time it happens, of right. course, right? But, you know, struggling every now and then with something or, or having, you know, we're talking about a pattern of behavior. We're yes. not talking just this one little, oh man, I've mess that one up sorry oh i'm out i can't i have to step away that's not it we're not holding a standard of perfection because we can't hold that standard it's actually again why i alluded to earlier why when the pastor does fall it is so devastating to the church because we for some at times have this idea of they have to be perfect and we idolize them we don't we really we don't think about them as being human like we are yeah they are the same as us yeah. When it comes to sin and struggle and stuff like that, they they have those same struggles, but they have been able to control themselves yes. against those struggles as part of their qualifications. Right. Again, they put their pants on one leg at a time. Right. I would assume. I put both mine on the same time. Very strange. Very strange. No. <laughs> no. So, well, actually, let's pause right there and talk about what is this whole section for? This whole section is how to get elders, how to get a pastor, as in, okay, there is a, a young man that we are looking at to be a pastor of this church, okay, our our, our pastor left, or our, our pastor was disqualified, or retired our pastor or retires yeah. in the next year or so, so we need a new one. Okay, how do we pick a new pastor? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Yeah. These are the qualifications that they need to uphold. So, this is, I, I believe it is more so for picking an elder, more mm-hmm. so for electing and getting a pastor and an elder. Not so much of, okay, we've had this pastor for the past 30 years. Uh, I don't really like him anymore, so let's scrutinize <laughs> Let's him. find a way to, yeah. Yeah, or mm-hmm. here's an elder I'm not really a fan of, so let's scrutinize him and see if we can get rid of him. No, that is a very serious charge. And a different conversation. And a different conversation. Yeah. Scripture is very clear on to get rid of an elder, you have to have a charge that is very significant, and e- even if it goes against the qualifications, okay? And it has to be brought by two to three witnesses to the congregation, to the pastor, to the rest of the elders. 
And then it has to be a conversation amongst themselves saying, okay, does this truly disqualify? So I think an easy one would be you have an elder. They've been there for, say, I don't know, 10, 20 years. He, he then gets divorced. His wife and himself, they get divorced. Okay, for me, that is a very serious charge. Mm-hmm. And the whole congregation, they all know it. They, they don't have to have two to three witnesses. They're all witnesses. So they're able to come and say, okay, yes, he's disqualified. And he steps down. Now, I, I would hope that this, this is, being a God-fearing man, he would say, look, I'm getting a divorce. We, we've gone biblically. We've gone through everything we could. I, 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 I basically, I, let, I had to let her go. And so he steps down himself. That's what I, I would pray would happen. Granted, I would right. pray that it never happened at all, but whatever. That, that's the example. Versus they have five children, and one of their children is a black sheep, and just disrespectful, does not listen, does not obey. And so you have a few of the, the people in the church being like, oh, his child is not being submissive, <laughs> and he's not listening to him. Verse 4. Verse 4, <laughs> yeah. which we'll get to. Not today. And, right. Um, <laughs> Still that out there. So he's disqualified, and we have to get rid of him. Okay, well, then you get to the rest of the congregation being like, okay, do you have any children? Do you, do you know what it takes to raise children? He has five. Four of them are God-fearing. They're submissive. They're obedient. But then you have this one. Okay, then it gets into some minutia of, okay, does he step down completely versus does he take like a, what's known as a sabbatical? He steps down for six months. He'll be back, but he's going to take that six months. He's going to pour into this child of, okay, I'm going to pour into you. I'm, we're going to go biblically. We're going to teach. We're going to teach mm-hmm. you self-control. We're going to yada, 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 talking about the, the, the flock of the 99 versus the one leaving. Okay, he's going after the one that's mm-hmm. leaving, and he's going to bring them back, and then he comes back as the elder. So that that is how I've, I've looked at this yeah. and how I've been able to be, reason through be, it. Because honestly, it... it there are there are obviously situations where that child is just rebelling against solid parenting and solid teaching and solid a solid father. I mean, there there is a point, at least again, logic. I'm not a parent. I don't know, but I would think there's a point where that's that's between that 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 child and God, and the father's doing everything he can. Yes, and and I don't know if that necessarily disqualifies him because he he is not neglecting his role as a father in this moment. Right. It's just that child for whatever reason just won't submit and won't and and yes, maybe he does step away to focus on that and try to try to resolve the problem. But at some point, your sixteen year old is a sixteen year old who has a mind of his own, right? You know what I mean? And it, and and there's going to be issues and there's going to be trials and 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 not necessarily the fault of the parent, right? And, and I hate what ifs. I do, yeah. because, again, we're just going to the text, what does the text say? But but sometimes you, you got to touch on a few. So, like, that be an example, versus the what if all five <laughs> children yeah. are just complete hellions. Yeah, yeah, Especially yeah. if you're looking at the pastor. Right. I, the, the, the way I heard it was, he's got five kids ranging from two to 16, and the, the two-year-old is in the nursery, and... Everyone working the nursery, the nickname for the baby is Demon Child. And then all the way up to the 16-year-old, just complete hellions. Right. This man is disqualified. You, you can see he is not, his children are not submissive. He is not fulfilling his role as a father. And again, this is not a thing that has one or two witnesses. The entire church knows. <laughs> Yeah. That is a very serious thing. Yeah. But those are just, those are blanket statements. Those are, if this happens, this is a very easy way to say, no, they are not equipped. They're not right. qualified. So, yeah. So, let's get through verse two. We have two, two, one, two left. Hospitable and able to teach. Hospitable, I, I think, is, is pretty self-explanatory. It comes from the Greek word that means love of strangers. So someone who is welcoming, someone who doesn't, it's not an us for and no more mentality, right? It is, we love people. Mm-hmm. I think that is huge. It is yes. it is a pastor who, when you walk into their church and you're new, and, and granted, at a bigger church, this may not be possible because you can't know everybody, and, and I understand that. That gets into a different... It, it, it does, uh, but it, it is someone who will will treat the guests of their church with love and respect, just as they would with their members. And and you know they are hospitable, they are welcoming, they're generous with their time, generous with their gifts, generous with their money. Yeah. I think that all comes under hospitality. Yes, 
it is welcoming them into your home at times. It is welcoming them into the church. It's welcoming them in with open arms and saying, look, you don't have to, you come as you are. You don't have to change to come in here. Yeah. God will change you. Yes. And, and I will, I, I want to help facilitate that, but yeah. God will change you. Yeah. For me, definitely looking at the aspect of inviting people into your home. As an elder, as a pastor, you need to be having the people of your congregation in your house all the time. Our pastor, by the way, is great <clears throat> yes. at this. Oh, yeah. He is great at this. His wife is really and good And his at wife this. is really yeah. good at this. Absolutely. Bringing people into their home, getting to know their flock. And, he, and that's what he's doing. Yeah. The pastor is getting to know his sheep. He's inviting them into their house, going to their house meeting them places, being hospitable. This is a very, very good thing. Yeah. If you My have... pastor's been here, right? Yeah. Like yeah. He's, he's been here watching football because I'm the schmuck that still pays for cable. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, like he, he, is, he is welcome here and he comes and I'm welcome there and I've been there. Like it's, I'm going there tonight. Like it's, he, our pastor is a great example of this. Yeah. So, so if you have a pastor that he shows up on Sunday, he gives his message and then he leaves and you don't see him, Throughout the whole week, no one sees him. No one really talks to him. Your pastor is not hospitable and therefore disqualified. <laughs> but anyway. We, and yeah. then finally. <clears throat> well, hold on. We oh, missed one. We missed one? Respectable. Oh, we did. That's good. Respectable. Yes. I'm sorry. Respectable, respectable, hospitable. So respectable, it's regarded by society to be good, proper, or having good conduct. So looking at the the outside world, unbelievers, and especially inside the church, but you are respectable. People respect you. Uh, an unbeliever is able to look at you and say, I don't believe what you believe, but you are hospitable. Yeah. And you, you are a, you are a, in their, in their terms, a good person. Or exactly. Yeah. You are a, you're willing to give up your time to devote to this or to right. X, Y, Z. And you're able to sit down and have a conversation with an unbeliever. An upstanding citizen. An upstanding citizen. Yeah. And go for me, it goes going back to, Peter of talking about how them not being able to bring a charge against you. Why? It's because they know. They know this is a very upstanding guy. This this is a a respectable, hospitable man. And so it is very important to be respectable, to be hospitable. But then this last one, this is an interesting one too. <laughs> able, able to, to teach. teach. So it's interesting because hold on, let me look at something before I go further. Well, I will say while while you look that up this word in this phrase is only used one other time and it's used in second Timothy uh, chapter 2 verse 24 and it's the only qualification that relates to an elder or teacher's spiritual gift okay a spiritual gift of teaching and it's the only one that distinguishes elders from deacons it's it's the yes. only one in first Timothy 2 that is kind of different from an elder slash pastor to a deacon yes so the preaching and teaching of God's word is of utmost importance it, it is right. The ability to faithfully, not, I mean, there are gifted teachers that cannot teach the God's, that, that should not and cannot teach God's word. So it, this is a spiritual gift. This is the ability to take God's word and teach it for what it says, not twisting it to, to form whatever belief system they have, not twisting it to make them feel better about something else. It is being able to take the word of God, teach it as it is written, and apply it to our lives as it needs to be applied. Yes, I, I agree. And for, for me too, this refers back to a spiritual gift of teaching. As a pastor, as an elder, you have to have the the spiritual gift of teaching. Able to teach, it, it is one Greek word. And like, like you said, it's only ever in scripture in first and second Timothy. And when we when we look at able to teach, we also look at other things. Okay. If someone is able to build a wooden table, in order to do that, they have to have some kind of ability to do that as right. in you can't just never build a table and be like uh i'm gonna build a table and then you have no idea what you're doing you just build one it it no offense it it probably will not be good right you have to have skill there is skill involved in doing this and so being able to teach there is skill now there are two ways to get skills okay one you work really really hard at it you start from ground zero and you work all the way up to it. Versus two, what the world would say is you have a... Natural ability. Natural ability. Yeah, is, yeah it's a na natural thing. Well, that natural thing is the Holy Spirit, and he has given you this gift. And 
as a pastor, as an overseer, as an elder, you have to have the spiritual gift of teaching and you have to be able to do it very well. This is not a, you get elected as an elder and now you have to learn right. to teach. No, that for me, that is a very, very dangerous and scary thing Yeah, for, for an elder who cannot teach. And, and I think, too, it, it's very important within this, and I think we'll maybe wrap it up with this, if that's okay, because I have to go to work, uh, and I need to take a shower still. But anyway, <laughs> that's beside the point. The ability to do so in a clear way, yeah. to, to get the message across, to get what this Bible is saying across in a way that is understandable to your congregation. Doesn't mean water it down, doesn't mean, you know, make it not say something it doesn't say, or, or be as harsh as it is, or, or whatever. You need to be able to do it clearly. Yes. And, and, and with precision and with accuracy and with the ability for your people to understand it. Yeah. And I've heard pastors say, I, I preach to the, to the fourth grader sitting in the room, where if, if they understand it, then everybody else will understand it as well. And, and it's preaching to the youngest person in the crowd to say, hey, I want to make sure this young child is able to understand what I'm saying so everybody else can understand it as well. Again, not watering it down. That that's the key there because right. that's dangerous. You 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 hear that and you're like, well, I have to take some of the stuff out and whatever. No, no, no. It needs to be, un- be understandable, yes. and, and you have to be able to communicate it to your congregation. I, I think a pastor, you know, I, I've sat under pastors who you feel like you've sat in a seminary class mm. after teaching, and and there's some good to that. But also, I understand too, like, man, this is tough. This is this is tough to understand at times, even yeah. even for me who's been through Bible college. Like, man, I I don't know if it's a little much. Like, I'm not yeah. saying you have to be entertaining and all flashy oh, yeah. and all this stuff, but like, it needs to be understandable to the common person, right? And that to me is is huge. Yeah, and and I would agree. I wouldn't say to a point, but it, how do I present this? Of like. As Brad knows, we bring our whole children, all of our children, into the church service. And I do not want our pastor thinking, okay, I have a two-year-old in here, so... Of course. Right. (laughs) So the distinction of not watering down, but being able to present the gospel and present all of Scripture, not just the gospel and the story of Christ, but all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, in a way that people can understand. And yeah, not coming at it as a, this is your... Uh, divinity uh, last semester <laughs> of uh, um, seminary. Right. So this is, bam, this is the hardest stuff. It's like, no, I'm going to present it in a way where people can understand. But I am still going to be teaching on the doctrine of election. I'm still going to be exactly. teaching on these hard things. And for me, with small children, yes, I know that they are not going to understand everything. But knowing my children, knowing other children, they soak in everything. They hear everything that the pastor says. And even if they don't understand, on our way home from church, my four-year-old is asking questions that the adults in church are not asking. My four-year-old is able to say, I I don't fit in in Sunday school. It's like, okay, let's talk about that. Why? Why do you, why, why do you not think that? Why do you not think that you fit in? It's like, well, I'm learning these things. And when I try to talk to other people about these things, other kids, they're like, man, you're weird. <laughs> and and, yeah. and, and it, it opens up a lot of conversation. Yeah. It's like, well, because my children are sitting in listening to the pastor, listening to the word of God. And yes, they might not be getting everything, but eventually they will exactly. because they're listening to everything. Exactly. Well, I don't know if you remember uh, when, I, when this episode first started, I indicated that my goal was to get through verse seven today. <laughs> Uh, we got through verse two, so we okay. will be, yeah, okay. so we will, okay. we will check back in in a week or two with, with the rest of this chapter, or, or at least another part of this chapter and take our time and get through it and, and kind of talk through some of the, you know, verses three through seven, try to get through those. We'll talk about elders and deacons and what the difference is and so on and so forth. We already alluded to that a little bit, but, uh, this was a great discussion, like I said, that could go and, and we could keep going. And there are so many other trails we could go down just oh, yeah. on these two verses alone. This so might, many This scenarios. might set us up for the next yeah. couple weeks. So I... we're excited to continue to get into that. Uh, continue reading through chapter three. Uh, we're going to come back next week with, I believe, a topic. Yes. All right. We're going to talk modesty next week. I believe so. Even though I, it's on the list. It's on the list. All right. Yeah. So I think we're going to talk about modesty next week, um, male and female and all that jazz. And so we're excited about that. Uh, give us a five-star review, like I said, on a couple of those social, uh, platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple, social medias, all that jazz. We are excited about that. I'm so sorry for my dog. We have got to, I've got to figure this out. <laughs> 
to get the dog noise out of the background of this podcast. It is driving me insane. It's just so lonely. He is not behaving well when he is outside <laughs> or when there's somebody. It's a, it's a whole deal. Anyway, uh, he's a husky. Huskies oh, are yeah. hyper. He'll be hyper until he's 10. Like, it's that's what these dogs do. And right. my other dog's just laying on the couch just staring at me. He's cool. He's chill. As long as a grasshopper doesn't toot outside, he's cool. Like, he'll bark at that. But otherwise, he's great. Uh, so, anyway, that's my little mini rant of frustration <laughs> for, the, for the episode. Uh, but, yeah, check us out on our social medias. Give us feedback on this episode. If there's anything we said that you disagree with, please let us know. I'm sure there's probably something in there that you're I like, am sure. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, whether it's divorce, alcohol, food, whatever we said. Give us a give us an indication. Mm-hmm. Show us some scripture. See if we erred in any way, because we are human and we'll do that. If we erred in any way and you feel that scripturally you can back that up, please come to us. We'd love yes. to talk about it, discuss it, and we'll discuss it on here. Definitely bring scripture to us. Bring scripture, though. Not just your opinion or your mm-hmm. feelings. That's big. So we'll see you guys next week for episode number 88. We're excited about that. We are inching ever closer to episode 100. I don't know what we're going to do for that, but it's going to be different. It's going to be special. We're excited. I'm excited to to record our 100th episode. Maybe we can get a guest. Maybe we can get a guest. A big one. We'll see. Well, we, got, we got 13 to figure out. 13 episodes left to figure it's it true. out. Fast approaching. Anyway. <laughs> but no, uh, thank you guys again for supporting us. We love you guys. We will see you all next week. In the meantime, stay, stay rooted. rooted.